Fuzzy Miller. Funny fella. Running amidst the trees. Who's there? I said as I stood in my head. But nobody answered me. This is Bruce. And this is Blix. Welcome again to the Fringeworthy Broadcast. Uh, tonight we have a special guest, James Buchanan, who's going to help us on tonight's topic, which is transhumanism and bioengineering. James has spent a lot of time writing about this and how he's used it in his own Fringeworthy campaign. We're really glad to have him here. So uh, welcome, uh, James. My name is James Patrick Buchanan. I'm a writer. I'm currently a student at the University of Minnesota, and I'm pursuing a degree in journalism. I already have a degree in communications. I've been interested in transhumanism almost as long as I've been interested in Fringeworthy. I hope that I've at least gotten Fringeworthy players to to think about these topics and see if and when they should include these elements in their campaigns. Uh, James, could you tell us how you actually got involved in Fringeworthy? I believe I was in Gen Con around 1996 when I happened to stroll by the TriTech Games booth. I happened to introduce myself uh, to Richard Tohoka. I said I was a writer. Mr. Tohoka gave me a free copy of the Fringeworthy game. I thought, wow, this is a really cool concept. I just got to write on this. (laughs) I started writing some things, and I started running my campaign. That's how things got started. James, do you play regular? Do you do like a regular schedule? I try to get up to UMD to play my game once every Wednesday, about once a week, either Wednesday or, or Friday. Okay. So, how many players do you have in your group? Currently, I have five. Well, that's on average. Some people come in and out because it's students, and there's off scheduling conflicts between five and and six. Right. It's on average. Okay. So, and, and I know that um, most most people who probably listen to this podcast are familiar with the Fringeworthy uh, Yahoo group, and they probably read some of your writings. Pretty prolific writer on that. So, is that a reflection of the game that you're playing? Is, is that stuff that's going on in the game that you're playing with your group, or is that separate? It's a mixture of my thoughts on the game and what has come up in uh, my campaign. Okay, so it, it's not a log of your campaign or anything. It's just, but it is. It addresses issues that come up in your campaign. Mm-hmm. I encourage my players to ask me questions about the game, right? And and say, what are you interested in the core book rulebook? What do you like to see in my campaign? Okay, that's excellent. So let's go to the actual topic that we're having. Thank you for that great background, uh, James. Uh, we always like to hear how people got involved in Fringeworthy, and they seem to come from all kinds of different places. We wanted to talk about uh, transhumanism. 
when we first thought about this, you know, we were saying, okay, transhumanism, this is the kind of thing where you run into an advanced society. They have all kinds of bioengineering. Life is totally different than what it is in our world. That's where you'll run into this idea of transhumanism, where people don't fall inside of what is considered normal human norms as a populace. But you came back with a different definition of transhumanism. Would you share that with us now? Sure. I believe that transhumanism is any ability that we have that is transcendent of what nature provides to us. An example of that would be if you put your hand in an open frame and you pull away from it, that's an instinct that all mammals share, and it isn't transhumanism. Uh, A transhuman act is the ability to make fire, which, as far as we know, no other mammal has mastered so far. I have a more open-ended view of what a transhuman ability is than just increase your muscles tenfold, you know, biotech stuff. Right, and I get that. I hadn't thought of it in those terms. Like, when we spoke about transhumanism, I went straight to sci-fi and was thinking, oh, yeah, we'll talk about, you know, biogenetics and stuff like that. But that is a good point. I really liked your example that you gave us um, when we were talking about this, that we were to run into a a group of people that were, uh, let's say, a Stone Age society. Mm Mm-hmm who had tools and things like that, but they looked at us and we had perfect teeth and we had corrected eyesight and we had perfect healthy skin and we were stronger because we had better diet and better and, and better nutrition and we were going to live two to three times their normal lifespan. They would see us as transhumanists because we were, to them, were so much more advanced than, than would be their norm. So partially it's a, it's a kind of a perspective as well. I Yes, there are so many people in this world that seem to think that our uh, early 21st century civilization is the norm. Because it's fringe-worthy, we can go to another alien world where it is still in the Stone Age. And those people would look at us as you know, having so many transhuman abilities, a cell phone. To actually talk to someone that could be on the other side of the planet, that would be a transhuman ability to them. That would be magic. So here we have a a campaign or you you have an adventure where you have some people uh, have some of these so-called transhuman abilities. And we're talking more about what the more classic ideas of advanced abilities. Things like you say, like higher strength or computer in their head or something like that. Then you have other people who don't have these things. How does one avoid elitism or discrimination? Your response was really more directed toward the players interacting with each other in that Mm -hmm. you could actually have people inside the same party who either looked down or looked up at other members because of these, as you say, these abilities. You seem to see this as a kind of a good thing because it created conflict in the group that needed to be resolved. And I happen to agree that that's a good thing. Conflict is good is what I've been saying before in the game. Perhaps you could address how these interactions might come about and and the kind of scope of these kinds of interactions that would result from these non-transhumanist versus transhumanist kinds of characters. Just because someone is from a, quote, Stone Age alternative world doesn't mean that they wouldn't have an ability that the people from Earth Prime would have. Um, 
there are, are records of uh, primitive people who are, are able to run down a deer. Now, in my shape, I would never be able to do that. There are people who could make great stone tools. These skills and abilities that some party members have would make them look down upon the Earth Prime people being still coddled in the womb, per se. <laughs> I don't think you could entirely resolve discrimination, but you could find ways to manage it, the conflict within the team. It's kind of hard to do. Would you say that that's where a good, strong leader, party leader, mm-hmm. comes, comes into play? Because... Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with people having differing opinions on, on things. You know, let's say you have a which we call a pure strain human in the party, and you got someone else who's taking advantage of some world's bio enhancements and such. The one looks at the other one and says, "You know, flesh is weak, and you're kind of disappoint me because you're you're a lesser person than me." Whereas the other person says, "Yeah, well, you're disgusting. You're not human anymore." I would think that that's where if you're going to stay together as a group where you would you would need a strong leader who would say hey look you know guys everybody needs to keep this to them you know keep their opinions to themselves and so long as it doesn't turn into a violent conflict you know you can you can have sort of like the the Star Trek thing where you had you know you had Spock and and, and McCoy mm-hmm. going at it and it was really it was kind of funny in, in a way you know because they're always sniping at each other but it, mm-hmm. you know when it came down to the wire they would you know they would kill or die for one another that's right they had each other's backs I also like the idea that, that uh, there is no such thing as a free lunch. When I look at a, a, a movie like Johnny Mnemonic, where he had this ability to store enormous amounts of data in his brain, but he had to give something up. He had to give up his childhood memories to make the storage space. So even if you had some of these special abilities, it doesn't mean that there wouldn't be a downside to them. We should never have characters that are uh, paragons. Right. And I think um, one of the things we've really pushed on this show is the fact that, you know, uh, Fringeworthy is a, is a thinking man's game and that we encourage people to play thoughtful characters. And from your writings, it's very clear that you, you advocate that as well. You take it very seriously as a thinking man's game in that character is not just numbers and, and scribbles on a piece of paper. It's, 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 it's an entity that you generate and, you know, you enact. I can see in your group having people would get cybernetics, but then some people wouldn't, you know, and, and they wouldn't see it as, you know, not being as good as the other guy. They would they would see it as this is my character's belief system. He's not going to get cybernetics, even though number wise, that would make me better in the long run. I feel better because, you know, my character didn't go down that road. That's true. I encourage my team to work as a team and to have specialized characters do specialized tasks. I have one character right now who likes to sit back in the vehicle. One of my team's vehicles has a minigun, and he decided that he would be the overwatch person for the team and just basically stay at a distance and take out the bad guys with this minigun. And he got some improved eyesight, improved reflexes, but then he said, no more. That's it. I'm not going to get any more upgrades. I've got all I need. Everyone else in the team said, that's good. (laughs) And he was being uh, true to his character concept. He said he he needed improved eyesight and somewhat faster reflexes, but all all the other stuff he said he didn't need, so he wouldn't get it. So have you experienced in your game, have you experienced anybody going – 
cyber psychosis or whatever. Any, have you had any instances right. where someone has taken their character and just pumped them up with everything they could put into them? I can't think of anyone who actually did the, the full route. You did make it available, though. They chose, chose not to. Part of the reason is that some of the upgrades are rank-based. So people would have to get a certain rank to get a certain type of upgrade. Oh, excellent. James, uh, we mentioned something that was kind of out of cyberpunk, where getting upgrades sometimes can have negative effects on the person's body. That's not the only representation of this kind of technology and bioenhancement. So why don't you tell us about what you like as your favorite examples of upgrades and literature or movies or things like that that you think could really help show this off in a fun way that could be easily incorporated into someone's campaign. Ghost of the Shell, it tends to be more action than cerebral, but they do have a lot of moments where the, the main characters do talk about their transhumanism and how they relate to other people. In the Ghost in the Shell society, almost everybody has some transhuman abilities, and a lot of people have gone full cybernetic body, such as the Major Bato and uh, many of the characters they go up against. Another transhuman ability, which is cool, would be the Return of Youth. A number of science fiction shows use uh, the transhuman ability to rejuvenate the body as a, a story element in their stories. A six-year-old woman could be transformed back into a 22-year-old woman. If you were to use this in a fringeworthy game, are you saying that the adventure would involve the characters going someplace to be rejuvenated? Suppose I have an, an elderly person was found to be fringeworthy, and... IDA, prayed by me, of course, would go to that character and say, congratulations, you're fringeworthy. We know you're a senior citizen. However, we do have this technology that can basically turn you back into a 20-year-old. We can uh, move your name up to the top of the list if you would agree to join UNIDA. Yes, this is a bribe. But yes, we do desperately need explorers to explore these airing worlds which are nearby us. So what about it, Mr. Senior Citizen? That's how I would create a backstory for that one particular character. And we know that fringe travel has a bio-boosting effect as well. So lots of people who are elderly in appearance actually are quite vigorous, relying they may be stronger, healthier than people 20 years their younger. So rejuvenation could be used as a, an ongoing story element in Fringeworthy. One of the questions I had was, isn't transhumanism really just fantasy magic with the trappings of science? And what I meant by that was, it's the Arthur C. Clarke concept that any technology that's sufficiently advanced looks like magic. So you go to a world, you've got magicians who can cast spells, or they can read minds, or they can see great distances. You know, that, that's all part of a fantasy type in, in a world. So when we use things like transhumanism or bioengineering, aren't we really just adding fantasy elements into our game? <laughs> we are talking about a game that's not real, so therefore it is a fantasy. But I'm talking about more of the, the classical concept of fantasy. Aren't we really making our game less real, or, or as some people put it, less gritty 
by adding in these uh, transhumanist or bioengineering concepts and abilities. The game already has psionics, magic. I kind of take the perspective of my players and see these abilities through the lens of their character's stats. A lot of my players, for better or for worse, tend to see the options I provide for them in the game as little more than pluses or negatives to their overall stats. A psionic ability or a magical ability or a technologically-based ability, for lack of a better uh, way to express it, they, they just don't care where the ability comes from or what I call it or what I'm basing it upon. They just would like to get their stats increased because a lot of my players tend to be uh, power gamers. I'm trying to get them away from that and say, okay, can you base your playing options based on your character, what your character would do? And it would be more fun to say, think, well, I'm a pacifist, so I'd rather have something that would make me invisible and silent to my enemy rather than a ramble character that would make me faster, stronger, a harder hitter. I'm not sure if that answered your question or not. So, wait a minute, so what you're saying is that pretty much your your players, they wouldn't care if they had magical ring that made them stronger, if they had muscle and bone lace that make them stronger. Just as long as it made them stronger. Mm-hmm. Bruce, that's exactly where you're going. In some ways, the transhuman angle is just another way of, of packaging. For example, let's you put on a girdle of, of storm giant strength or whatever, and it makes you super mm-hmm. strong. I mean, how is that different from... Uh, muscle and bone lace and, you know, grafted muscles and stuff like that. Is there a difference amongst the players? Do, do, you know, do people feel that, you know? I know within our group, it's completely different. Our group is, we're pretty mature and we're pretty evolved as gamers. We've been gaming together for a very long time. That stuff comes into play quite frequently. A lot of times, you know, we, we take into consideration exactly where things are coming from. And, you know, players will be like, no, I'm not doing that. But, you know, if it was just putting on a storm, a girl of storm giant strength, they'd be like, oh, yeah, that's no problem. You know, that's not really messing with me. So, but, but what you're saying is that, that you're finding that with your group and you're trying to steer them away from that is that they wouldn't care either way. I should point out that my group happens to be college students primarily, and they only are in my group for two or three years, and then they right. graduate or they go down to another campus to right. continue their education. So I think that my group dynamics is a bit different from your group group dynamics. We've been playing together since high school, and that was oh. in the eighties. <laughs> mm. So, so but what you're saying is you would you would push for the kind of group what I'm talking about. Like that's that would be your your druthers if you could do it. You try to edge them in that direction. Well, I do my best. <laughs> well, what I'm getting from this is. Even though Fringeworthy is a transgenre game, a lot of people, they're okay if you place each of these genres in a separate world. But if you go and really try to mix it across worlds, then they don't like it. They they really want their science fiction to be science fiction, and they want their fantasy to be fantasy. Chocolate in my peanut butter. No, you got your peanut butter in my chocolate. They don't like that. So this would be a way of, of providing those kinds of gross enhancements or specialized would be considered almost a magical ability through something like Bioshell or through a full-body replacement that had super cybernetic powers or any other type of thing that could be 
essentially encapsulated in this science fiction concept, you're really providing the same ability that you could get in a fantasy game through magic, but you're providing it through super science. It actually can resolve a lot of those issues that people might say, well, I really want to be strong, but I don't want to have to, you know, break my character concept or, and I don't want to have to live with any of that nasty magic stuff. And because then there'll be elves and, and dragons and God knows what else, you know, right. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, crap, if you give me a magic item, that means orcs are going to appear. Yeah, you know, next thing you know, someone's someone's little sister is, you know, is going to be is going to turn out to be a fairy princess. Oh, and, and down the rabbit hole we go from there. Yeah, there goes the campaign. What I'm hearing from you, James, is it, it, it can be magic in trappings, but that's not its intent. It's really just means of giving the players what they want. Whether they get it one way or another, it's still transhumanism from your point of view, because transhumanism doesn't consider the source it's just uh, a reference to abilities that are not normal considered normal human abilities take a look at lance armstrong his body as far as we know <laughs> is is not biotech enhanced lance armstrong has that ability to ride a bicycle further and faster than anyone else and i would say that you know that's wow i mean that's great or um that Minnesota Viking quarterback, what's his name, uh, Brett Farr, has an amazing ability to heal from injuries. N- a number of commentators have said how great Brett Farr can recover from an injury that would maybe sideline or retire a lesser person. And that's kind of grades that uh, I'm, I'm introducing my, my prayers to. Taking the abilities they ha- that they have and then story upgrading them to not necessarily superhuman but better human uh better bettering their abilities so let me ask you this so so we we can naturally you know it's a natural progression to say okay so you got guys like Arnold Schwarzenegger you got people take steroids and stuff and they Mm -hmm. you know they they're, they're naturally easily assumed as transhuman because they're artificially boosted we haven't mentioned yet and and it just occurred to me in this mm-hmm. discussion, a wizard is a transhuman. Mm-hmm. A uh, any kind of psionic or any kind of um, you know any, any supernatural abilities, you know, where people have mm-hmm. worked to, to do that. A vampire is a transhuman in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it, it's not you know like we were saying before, it's not about where it comes from. It's about what happens to the individual and and you know where they go, you know, they go from being human to being something else. Though, though they might very well still consider themselves to be human at, at, at the end. <laughs> right, right, of course. Of course they do. I'm, I'm sure Arnold Schwarzenegger thinks he's human. <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way. I like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I like him. But he's he's transhuman. <laughs> you know? He's a, a great example of someone who, who basically started with the same – uh, stock that the rest of us did and turned it into something exceptional. Right. And uh, that's, you know, and that's partially what the, I think the concept of transhumanism is about. Right. So here we are, you know, we're running a, a fringeworthy campaign and we talk about how a lot of times where there's a timeline. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of a loose idea of saying that as time goes on in a fringeworthy mm-hmm. campaign, you're going to be running into different worlds, different people, different cultures. Uh, the remnants of the super tech Chamelerns and the Commonwealth, 
initially, you're not going to have anybody who really, other than the fact that they are fringeworthy, they're not going to have any real True. transhuman qualities. They're everyday type people is the, is the general concept of, of, of fringeworthy. But as time goes on, these opportunities are going to start appearing. And so my question was, is that how fast do you see this progression happening in a fringeworthy campaign? When I run my campaign, I try to let my players set the pace of technological development, uh, what they find. I ask my players what they're after, what sort of abilities they would like to have. And then, oh, surprising surprise, uh, they happen to find someone who knows something about that ability. There are a number of um, contacts that, that I've set up. These are basically fringe traders. And these contacts will either, either know something or know someone who knows some, some, something about what, what they want. As for timeline, it, I, I haven't set out anything that says by year 20 they'll have type 3 transhumanism. 2020 would be like uh, Fringe Discovery plus 10, right? I see my game more for the benefit of my players than for myself. They're interested in transhumanism. That's what they'll find. If not, well, then that gets put on the back burner until said players do express some interest in, in it. To you, there is no real point where you know, you're not like sitting there aching to to to, to um, uh, full body uh, uh, replace them up or you know cyber them up. You know, I understand that you, you write about this quite a bit. So, I, true. Some people come to their games with an agenda, uh, GMs, and you're saying that you let the players decide mm-hmm. which way they want to go. But if, if if we were to get like say 20 years down the line with all the people exploring the fringe pass. You still don't think that they would have found, uh, that other at least other teams wouldn't have found stuff like this. It would. I mean, I can see where the team might say, "Hey, I don't really want to get involved with that." Don't you think that they would have at least found oh, some sure. of this stuff by then? Twenty years would mean that they would have explored many worlds, and there'd have many opportunities to acquire and bring back to the core worlds what they found. Some of the technology would remain in, in Enigma for a long time. However, you know, other things like. A machine that clones hair follicles would uh, be readily used and available, uh, both the players and for people who really want to, you know, get their hair back. A hair a machine that clones hair follicles wouldn't boost anyone's stats, per se, of course, maybe charisma. <laughs> but it would, uh, I'm trying to encourage my players to go after the hair curling follicle machine if you're, you know, a 50-year-old man who's using his hair. They're using some kind of hair regrowth uh, enhancement as part of their character, then it would make sense for them to seek some kind of hair cloning machine. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'll tell you, you know where that would come in handy? That's where IDET goes, all right, we need some funding. So they bring that to the real world, mm-hmm. and uh, that'd be a great money maker for the real world because you know they, mm-hmm. they could charge they could charge even a low amount of money for it, and the amount of money they would make off it would fund the French Worthy Project. Can you imagine yeah. being funded with uh, hair treatments? <laughs> I agree. I think that this funding for IDET, could, uh, if it doesn't come directly from governments, can come from all kinds of unusual things. One of the Things that are happening right now in the area of bio enhancement of clothing is, and they already have it, it exists, is clothing that has a, kind of a built in deodorizer. So 
you, you could just as easily say I that is funded by stinky armpits. Mm-hmm. Wow, that, that, that exists. Oh yeah, there, there's there, they they bind deodorant molecules to the molecules of the of the clothing. Wow, wow. I, I can think of some places I'd like to go where I can hand out T-shirts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it, and it doesn't wash out. You you put it through the washing machine, it doesn't wash out. They're not cheap, but still, I mean, you know, wouldn't it be great if it's a T-shirt that you're going to be using a lot of? You know, and your favorite T-shirt. I want the post-manufacture treatment where it is your favorite T-shirt. So now I go and I get it treated with this stuff so I can wow. wear this shirt and, then, and it, it keeps me, you know, minty fresh. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's uh, there's lots of things like that. You know. We talked about how transhumanism would change a campaign. It would provide money. It would change uh, the worlds the explorers are from. Assuming, of course, that they were amenable to it. It's certainly, I'm sure there's going to be some transhumanist abilities or uh, upgrades, as you put them, James, that would be soundly denounced by the worlds in which they come from. Mm-hmm. As an example, sex change. If you could just go into, you know, take a pill or go into a little chamber or something like that, and you could then take on all the attributes of the other side, including the ability to carry a, a baby to term, um, I could see a number of uh, mm-hmm. religions right. getting really hot under the collar about that sort of thing. That could be a great point of conflict because initially it probably would only happen to a few people and they would draw all the lightning because of that. Like in superhero campaigns, first superheroes are either embraced as the saviors of the world or they're considered to be monstrous villains that need to be destroyed immediately before they take advantage of of normal human beings. Correct. Organ transplants were vilified by a a number of people when they were first uh, introduced in, I think, in the late 60s. And now it's become a a, uh, routine procedure. Uh, Blood transfusions way back when were denounced as some sort of vampirism. But when the technique was proven to be safe, blood transfusions became a normal part of uh, any hospital. I can see that there's always an initial reluctance to use, you know, anesthetics or or antibiotics for the gray-haired establishment people who consider that to be a threat to their mental view of the world. Within five or ten years, these anesthesia and antibiotics become embraced by the the white American community, and the people who had initially opposed them, they retire or they uh, adopt a new procedure. But because most fringe-worthy campaigns, unless you specifically stop and start your campaign or use some kind of time-skipping kind of mechanism, these kinds of things are probably not going to change over the lifetime of the campaign. Let's say they, they were big into, into uh, body scarification or tattooing. You, you're an explorer and you go to a world and they treat you badly because of that. They might provide you a great social benefit where you come from because those are the marks of someone who's of high born or excellence or something like that. But the other worlds you go to, they look at you as being some kind of a freak. You know, that's going to be an ongoing problem. People who have these kinds of enhancements, a lot of times I see them having to hide them as they go from world to world. Which isn't a bad thing, because if you've got a superpower, the best thing to do is not to reveal it, because then you can use it as your ace on the hole. Well, you put them as saying that most of these people who have these enhancements are going to look just like normal people, that all their enhancements are invisible. That's not necessarily true. Some of their enhancements could have very visible parts. You also mentioned all these abilities. They are all biological power. Otherwise, they go onto the fringe paths and... They go blind in one eye. Their brain goes on the fritz. 
you don't want to cripple your characters by giving these to them. So you provide them with this kind of stuff in a in a safe, character friendly fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but don't um, underestimate changing societies. For example, you leave Earth Prime and you go to some world, say you go to the cyberpunk world, and that society has been so immersed in those kind of technologies for so long and it's so predominant that they don't seem to notice it as a problem. For example, you look at Ghost in the Shell is a good example. You know, you got you got a guy like Briarius running around. People don't really bat an eyelash at him because their society has become so immersed in this sort of thing that that's a normal thing. So they're not even going to try and hide it because there's no point in that. You know, nobody nobody cares. I worked with a guy who was deaf and he got a cochlear implant. And that is a very, it's a visible thing on the side of his head. And it, you know, it's, it's not a big deal. It's not, it's, you know, it's not obscenely visible, but there's definitely looks like a, uh, an electronic device, you know, connected to the side of his head. And in mm-hmm. today's society, that's not so out of whack, but in the fifties, it would have been. If you go somewhere where they have a lot of cybernetics and stuff or any kind of transhumanistic type of thing, you have to remember that it may not be as invisible as you would think it would be because society's norms have changed by that point. And if they had that kind of thing, that means it's more accepted, which means that it's probably not as hidden. They probably haven't taken as many painstaking efforts to hide it. Eyeglasses in the first, second, third through the ninth centuries didn't exist. So seeing somebody walking around with lenses, pieces of clear glass stuck in front of their face, everyone would just think you were totally weird. I should point out that in colonial times, the, the size of your eyeglasses basically was another indication of your rank. So the, you, the bigger the eyeglasses you had, the more wealth you had. Because obviously it takes uh, much more time and effort to make a, a larger lens and a smaller lens. So if a player character wanted to look like a, a lower class person, he would wear eyeglasses with small lens. However, if you want to look like an upper-class person, he, he or she would wear eyeglasses with larger lenses. It's a, uh, a small distinction that people around here wouldn't, you know, in our world now, wouldn't think twice of. But it's a distinction that would be readily apparent to someone who lived in colonial times. Huh. Well, that's, that's great. I never knew that. So, James, did you ever come up with any more... Uh, uh, books, novels, or things that you thought were highly recommended in this uh, as examples that could be used as inspiration for these kinds of adventures? Sure. There is a series that my friend uh, Kate and I are watching called Better Man. Uh, B-E-T-T-E-R-M-A-N. Is this an anime? Yes, it is. There's Sakura has the ability to tap into a psionic limpid channel which means she can process the conscious brainwaves of the people around her. And there are people who have dowsing ability. Better Man is a series about Mecca. And Mecca needs to be powered by people who are called head divers, which have a special ability to power the Mecca through their own special abilities. No, no one discriminates against these people because they have special abilities, although they do take great pains to hide the abilities from the general public. They don't go around saying, Hi, I'm a head diver! Worship me! Scrub mm-hmm. a worm. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for those uh, suggestions. Uh, I haven't looked at either of those, uh, though in my fringe-worthy uh, game, 
currently somebody is playing a character based on Sakura. Really? Wow. And we're having a lot of fun with her because you know, she she tends to get captured by people and, and who see this little young woman with a sword and say, well, you know, nothing to worry <laughs> about here. <laughs> and she proceeded to fight her way out of a building full of armed soldiers until she was outside and could be rescued by the rest of the team in our, in our most recent adventure. We had a lot of fun with that. If you go to the Wikipedia Betterman and you go down to, I think, third characters, it describes the name characters and their abilities. James, that's all the questions that I had. Lix, uh, do you have any more questions for James? Where do you see the eventual progression of transhumanism? Let's say you have a society that is immersed mm-hmm. in active transhumanism. I'm talking, you know, scientific transhumanism, not just, you know, the regular, like what we were talking about before, man discovers fire. I'm talking about, you know, biological, cybernetic, technological. That's just your personal opinion. I'm not, I'm not asking you to try and make a judgment, um, mm-hmm. you know, make a prediction on what man will do. But in your opinion, from what you've seen of people and from what you've read, how far do you think that would go? I mean, how far do you think people would go? Do you, do you think that they would completely transform themselves eventually at some point? Do you think there'd be a partial transformation? Do you think that people would eventually get back to just being human again? Or do you think there'd be a combination of, uh, of all those, depending on the person? I think it would be a combination of all those, depending upon the person. Some people or some groups would probably like to remain the way they are. I mean, like the Amish. I don't see anyone actually turning back the clock and becoming Cro-Magnum or <laughs> Australopithecus again. Although, who knows? Some people might think that being an Australopithecus might be really fun. <laughs> who knows? And there will be other people who would go the other way. But I think that most people today would probably change only about 2 or 3% of their genome and be quite content. Human beings share 98% of our genome with, with chimpanzees and we're only mm-hmm. 2% different. And that 2% gives us a huge difference between our abilities and chimpanzees. So right. if only we changed 2 more percent of our genome, we would have so much more abilities than we have now. And that would probably be sufficient for most people. Of course, some people will always say, well, how about 3% or 5%? Like curing uh, dwarfism in human beings. No one should have to remain a midget, Mm -hmm. whether they're still in the womb or 55 years old. However, there might be a few people that say, okay, well, 6 foot 5 isn't me. I would like to be 6 foot. Or I would like to be a star basketball player. Or I would like to get the genetic blueprint from Brett Farb and make my son or myself a great NFL quarterback. Right. One of the things I was going at was that mm-hmm. the, the Star Trek franchise, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, that genre, they spoke of how society went through a phase like like that where they uh, they had all the enhancements and they had the genetic wars and then they, the society itself agreed that it, that it should be illegal because it was a bad idea to be messing with the genome in such a way. Do you agree with that point of view, or do you think that was um, like a Roddenberryism that that's probably a little unrealistic? Well, the way they set it up was that only a few people had these generic enhancements. Those who were genetically enhanced were told, 
you are the chosen people who will go out and lead uh, this human society into a better place. Khan and his crew basically let it go to their head, decided to become rulers in a Joseph Stalin type of way, and then the human rebelled against that and then said generically enhanced people were bad. Uh, understandably, went through World War Three to kick them out of power. So right. I, can, I can understand why Gene Roddenberry did that. Gene Roddenberry was attempting to appeal to his audience in the 1960s. I'm not sure that you know, if the television audience would still agree with that, because we've had several decades of showing transhumanism could be a good thing for people. So much like I was talking about before with the cyberpunk society, you know, if it's integrated mm-hmm. slow enough, you know, people will not shun away from it. They won't try to hide it. It'll be something that will become acceptable worldwide because it is, you know, it, it slowly works itself into societies. You know, you might have people walking around in full Borg type bodies and, and no one will think twice about it because, you know, all they'll think is, well, that guy decided to do that. Heart and liver transplants at one time worked upon as bad. Now they're accepted. Suppose you go, your character has had a heart transplant. Uh, he's fringeworthy. He goes to a, a third century world and people look at his chest and say, where'd you get that scar, man? Would my character say, well, I have someone else's heart being my chest because my original heart was diseased and I had to get a new a donor heart whether it was a, a donor or perhaps a cloned replacement from my own heart cells. Or maybe it might be a better, you know, just say, ah, a Gorgon tried to rip me in half. Or maybe it's better to tell a white lie now and then tell them to the truth later on when they're more ready for the concept. Right. If you said that to a third century person, they would look upon you and say, there's no way that that could be done using anything other than black magic. True. Of course, that it's, it's wrong to do that <laughs> because they couldn't even conceive of the technology required to make it happen. I mean, ultimately, I foresee mankind as fixing all of the genetic problems that we have, fixing the genome, modifying it, modifying it, and cutting out all the bad stuff, maybe enhancing some aspects. That's where I see us heading. I foresee us becoming the best us we can be without being over-the-top us, you know? Just because evolution isn't perfect, you know, it makes mistakes along the way, and it carries mistakes with it if they're not fatal mistakes. You know, I see things like diabetes and, and predominance towards cancer, things like that being eradicated from the genome so that, you know, we are the best us that we can be. That's where I kind of see it going. Well, I hope you're right. I think we're going to see a long and probably unpleasant path as we have in every area of advancement in our our culture technologically and societally. But I agree. I think that ultimately, if we stick to it, if if we're brave enough, we'll see a a better future. Mm -hmm. Well, we already have. I mean, you know, life expectancy in the last 200 years has doubled. That's a good thing. We're on the right track. And, And I think if we, you know, keep forging on the way we are then maybe so much that people will live you know, that much longer but maybe quality of life right up to the end will improve because i think that's really the the ultimate goal so james is the conclusion you'd like to leave us with is don't be afraid of the enhancements don't be afraid of transhumanism it's all going to work out well if we're careful yes i have an optimistic sense for the future 
We just need to be brave, be open to new ideas, and take things slowly and carefully. After all, it takes about 10 years for the FDA to approve a new drug for treatment of, of something. And I'm sure the FDA will also definitely be regulating anything that looks like a transhuman technology. So um, it'll be an interesting next 20 years. So if you're a fringeworthy explorer, you're probably going to have to get your upgrades off world because it, the campaign will be over before the FDA ever goes around and approving the upgrade, right? That's where role-playing enters. A character from Earth Prime would take some artifacts to a, a 23rd century world and say, I'll trade you these artifacts for uh, a better immune system for me. And if the 23rd century doctors say, oh, I'm not sure about that, could you bring us a specimen of some sea life? Because our 23rd century world is experiencing a famine. Uh, could you give us some wheat seed that grows in salt water? And then that prayer character will get that wheat seed, wheat that grows in salt water from a third world. And then they'll make that trade for the wheat seed that grows in salt water for the, the enhancement of a better immune system. I'm trying to incorporate the transhuman abilities into my prayer's personality so we have more of a, a role-playing experience rather than a, a real-time strategy experience. <laughs> I get a little triangle trade going between worlds. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thank you very much, James, for joining us tonight. Mm -hmm. This is a lot of fun and seen a lot of great ideas here. And I hopefully our, our listeners will be able to add this to their campaign with and have a lot more fun with their, uh, their games. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you know, just remember to, um, when you're playing your characters, that, that you don't want to think about these enhancements as numbers on a, on a piece of paper. Try to incorporate your character into this sort of thing. You know, if you're playing someone who is, a, you know, as a bodybuilder, you know, he may not want to have a cyber arm because if if he's a bodybuilder, then he likes his body. He takes nutritional supplements. He eats well. You know, he's he's not going to be prepared to uh, say say to the doctor, "Yeah, hack it off and give me that piece of metal." He's a bodybuilder. He takes pride in what he's been able to achieve with his body on his own. It's not about just one-upping and building, min-maxing as it were, you know, building the, the best fighting machine that you can come up with no matter what. Remember to insert your characters into the, the setting that you're in. And there's nothing, I'm not, not anti-cyber or anti-bio you know bio enhancement or whatever, not against that at all. Just make sure that it's a part of your character and that the things that you do are things that your character would do. Those are great ideas, Blix. Thanks. All right, James, again, thank you for being our guest uh, host. And we look forward to seeing how we can do these and also your ongoing adventures as you've been writing them in the Fringeworthy groups at yahoo.com, the Fringeworthy news group. Anyone who wants to hear more or read more of uh, James's ideas, he has an ongoing storyline there that's been going on for many years. So there's plenty of material there. Yeah, I've got about 13 chapters written, and I'll be welcome to hearing any input you have about my novel and any suggestions that you might have for uh, future story arcs. So uh, take care, guys. All right. Thank you, James. Bye-bye. All right, James. Thanks a lot. It was great. So until next week, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Blix. 
Remember, bullets speak louder than words. Games Incorporated.